0: I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, everyone. This was one of my very first episodes I recorded. I'm so grateful I got to meet Jessica. She is a very special person. She has this gentle, captivating type of energy that vibrates so warmly around you. She's one of the first of a couple autism moms I have had the chance of chatting with for the podcast. It's interesting to me that these moms have a lot in common. They're so calming and soothing to be around and to talk to. I don't know if they were divinely lucky to have these traits before they had children, or if they work towards becoming such a grounding individual for these amazing kids. Either way, they inspire me, and I feel so lucky to have parents like this on my team my guest is a pillar in her community which happens to be in the town i grew up she started an inclusive community center called heartism for kids of all abilities they have cooking classes art classes yoga classes and more it's all free of charge for the kids it's a place for them to get together and embrace each other no matter what might be going on in their lives i haven't seen anything quite like it here in seattle and i'm just so incredibly proud of her and my hometown for any support they've given her. I'll share the center's Facebook page so you can check it out. Keep her place in mind if you're looking for an important charity to support. I'm also really excited to include a little teaser of a TED talk that she spoke for. Her words are so beautiful and profound, so make sure to take a listen to her TED talk after this episode. Here's my friend. Jessica Fitzpatrick. If we're
1: taught to meet diversity with curiosity and kindness and an open heart and mind, we're participating in our own emotional evolution and that of our children. As children, we don't always understand how our actions impact other people. But as we grow and we learn and we do better, we can see the world around us become a better place. And in a world where you can be anything, be kind.
0: Hi, Jessica. Hi, Effie. Thank you so much for talking to me this morning. I know we had kind of a race to get here. So thank you for making the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, an honor and a privilege to be here with you today you're so sweet we we met earlier this summer at a mind-body integration workshop with my sister Christy Foster who will be on the show at a later date but it's so good to talk to you again and I'm so grateful that I met you and saw your facility in the Bitterroot thank you yes I was really excited that Christy chose to do her
1: workshop there at Heartism, and Your family is just amazing. A really beautiful, honored.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. I love them. They're the best. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, let's just get started. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your daughter, Sequoia? Okay, my favorite subject. I love to talk about Sequoia. Awesome.
1: (laughs) She is a vibrant 15-year-old, typical teenager in many ways. She loves tacos and french fries, has crushes on boys, and has a terrible addiction to YouTube videos. Sounds like me still. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But she also has tremendous challenges. She has sensory processing disorder as well as classical autism. And she struggles with everyday things like getting dressed and personal hygiene, even attending school is really difficult for her because of her sensory challenges. We've been very fortunate. She's in a school right now that she's having a lot of success with. Um, She's able to attend uh, for a lengthened time now. she's, She's going four hours, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which is a huge increase from the past. She just gets so overloaded being in public places and especially if there's any sort of pressure to perform. And so she's she's able to do that, which is such a huge blessing, but she struggles with things like simple math, yet by the time she was five years old, she could name, spell, and identify over a hundred birds. Wow. So she's yeah, she's like this little genius inside of this body that just does not cooperate with her brain.
0: Sure. She, she does it differently than we do. Yes. But she's probably a lot more intelligent. Oh my gosh. And she's hilarious. Her sense of humor is
1: just, it's out there and it surprises me because she just will pull something out that I'm like, Oh, how did you even (laughs) get that? That's so cute. Is she, is she
0: sarcastic
1: or just very quick witted? um she she's sarcastic just in her own way and 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 just funny when you wouldn't expect
0: it i'm so happy to hear that there's a school like that in um our small town you live in the small town that i grew up in yes in tiny tiny
1: corvallis
0: (laughs) i was a little terrified when i went to your community center because it was across (laughs) the street from my high school which i didn't leave a lot of the best memories at but Yeah, it can be such a struggle. I'm so happy there's a school there for her that she's going to and liking for the most part. Yes. Yeah, she spends most of her time in the resource room,
1: which is actually in the middle school, even though she's in ninth grade. Last year was her first year at Corvallis, and that was eighth grade. And she got real familiar with that resource room. So this year when she started, it was just a smooth integration back into the school year, being in the same space, having the same teacher and the same para. Makes a big difference.
0: That's yeah. great. That's great. It makes a big difference when they have yes. a relationship with their therapists and their teachers. Huge night and day difference. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the beginning when Sequoia was a little girl? When did you notice something that was a little different or maybe she wasn't hitting certain milestones that other people's children were hitting?
1: Yes, we had a really traumatic birth. And even after her birth, I just had kind of a mother's intuition. I just kept asking the doctor, are you sure she's okay? And, you know, and I, and I got reassurance and then she sat up, she rolled over, she did a lot of things right on time. One of the things that stood out the most was sensory issues, but I didn't have a word or a category to understand that yet. So I myself had several sensory processing issues growing up and that I still struggle with today. And so I just kind of naturally accommodated to the things that stood out the most. When I would walk downstairs with her, she had the sensation like she had just been thrown. Her whole body would would tense up, her fist would clench really tight, and she would scream. She would turn bright red. It's like she'd been thrown out of a two-story building. And so it was just that sensation of a tiny step down so I learned to squeeze her and hug her tight into my chest and tiptoe down the stairs so carefully. And that solved that sensory problem. If she would be in a room where there was food, she would immediately vomit. And especially if she smelled meat. So she had a really hypersensitive reaction to the smell of food. And so I just learned to keep her out and away from the food, couldn't wear her in a little pack while I cooked or prepared food. and. So there were just certain accommodations that I made, but I really didn't think much of it. I remember when she was almost a year old, maybe nine or 10 months, getting close to a year, and I would clap. I would smile and clap. And she would just look at me really confused. And I was trying to get her to clap back at me. And she just looked at me like, I know you want me to do something. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. And still, you know, I had taking her to the doctor. She was hitting the milestones for the most part at 18 months. I was starting to get concerned because she couldn't walk and we had a natural path. I could tell he was a little concerned, but he said, you know, Sequoia is just Sequoia. I think just give her a little bit more time. And then by the time she was almost two, she still couldn't walk. And that's when we started when we got the first diagnosis. And that was global delay
0: because she wasn't talking very much either your pediatrician gave you the global developmental delay diagnosis
1: yes and then we started physical therapy right away and the physical therapist was the first one to say do you know about sensory processing disorder and i had no idea and once i started researching it i was like oh wow this is its whole thing you know this is the whole category of isms and began reading books and understanding that piece and trying to help her integrate her sensory systems and then by age three we already had been working with a case manager through the child developmental center and she said i think we need to have her in for an evaluation we actually went in for a, a cognition evaluation and they were unable to do that test on her and they switched gears right then and said we need a team to do an autism diagnosis right now. So we walked out of there with an autism diagnosis and I wasn't prepared for that. It it was a buzzword, autism, this is 12 years ago. And I was really at this stage in my life of, we don't use labels, I'm not going to put that label on my child and then stamp, boom, autism diagnosis. So it was a lot to come home with and I wasn't prepared but I'm really grateful now that she got that because it put us on the track of like, okay, here it is. Now, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know? I mean, it
0: takes some people years, even now, with the waiting lists to get that autism diagnosis. Right. And for us, it was just handed over. Oof, that's intense.
1: Yeah. And we lived really out in the boonies then. We were two hours from the Child Developmental Center, and we were an hour from Hamilton. That was the closest town that had a hospital, a school with special education services. There was a smaller town, Darby, but at that time, they didn't have a preschool for special needs children. So we actually had to come a full hour into Hamilton to receive the basic services. And they were great, but they were minimal for what Sequoia needed.
0: Did they do like the full, like 40 hours of ABA therapy 15 years ago?
1: There, No, there was nothing like that. That didn't exist? No. We, we had signed her up for... Preschool, a special needs preschool, and that was uh, kind of mainstream. It was five kids with special needs, five kids that were typical, so they had the peer model and a really fabulous teacher. And that was two hours we attended two times a week for that first year. And then she got speech, physical therapy, and OT, and she got those two times a week. So she got less than 10 hours of any sort of therapy weekly. I mean, it, it was. It was minimal. The next year, I actually moved to Hamilton and rented a space and kind of lived dually in Hamilton and in Sula, which was up in the mountains, Yes. but we kind of split time and and she was able to attend four days a week. And so she was able to get a little bit more stimulation and and therapy through that, but it still wasn't nearly the resources that she needed to, to help her rise to meet the challenges.
0: Right, you're just kind of trusting your mama's intuition this whole time on basically just how to parent her on a daily basis and learning about all of this diagnosis. Yes, and one of the things that
1: we discovered when she was five, we did the play project, which is basically a program that teaches the parents how to work with a child in a way that the child leads and the parents are following. So instead of Mm. do this, do this, do this, it's all you show me and I'll copy what you do. And that she responded really well to. And so as a parent, I was very grateful for the play project and and the people that did that because they came into our home, they videotaped us. That makes a huge difference. Yes, yes. They worked with us. They videotaped us working or playing with our child. And then, they would give us a CD with commentary written out like, okay, here, here I see that you're trying to show her how to do this puzzle, but she's looking out the window talking about a bird that she sees out there. So your job is to be looking out the window with her talking about the bird. You're mimicking what she's doing. You're, you know, because we had, we had been therapeutized. We had already been in therapy for three years and the therapists were trying their best, like get her engaged, teach her, you know, show her how to do this, this, and this. And so we're constantly trying to get her to do all these things and she had absolutely
0: no interest. Yeah. And that's a blow just as a mom. I know even still sometimes when I'm trying to teach Ford how to do something and he's not doing it, I can get discouraged.
1: Definitely, and and it's hard when someone is coming into your home It's hard to trust them like, okay, I've been taught to do it this way. Now you're telling me throw all that out and learn this new skill. But you know what? It worked as soon as I was able to make that switch and say, "Okay, you are the leader. Then Sequoia was empowered and she was able to take me with her.
0: Is that why you think she responded so well to it? It was maybe the first time that she got to assert some of her independence yes and she could see that
1: i was going to do what she did no matter what she did if she was beating on the walls i'm right there with her and so it just really helped to strengthen our relationship even though we had a great relationship already it helped to increase her trust in me so that then later when i was showing her things she would imitate me and that's the whole point it's it's that relationship really deepening that connection
0: and proving that a five-year-old needs acceptance they feel it they know what it is yes and you got on her level that is so cool
1: (laughs) thank you one of the great things about um, her being five years old was I remember going into her kindergarten class Sequoia does a lot of sign language still to this day and her favorite thing she loves to spell she's a really good speller so she would finger spell and instead of doing the sign for a word, like the word duck, instead of signing it, she wanted to fingerspell it. So it's like D-U-C-K. So that's that's how she would go through life is fingerspelling everything she would see. So when it came time for her to go into kindergarten, I had talked to her teacher and said, would it be okay if Sequoia and I teach the class, the alphabet and sign language? And she said, oh, sure. And so we did, and Sequoia taught the kids how to sign so they could sign their names, they could, <laughs> they could sign with her. And so it just provided this outlet of a way to connect. And the kindergarten yes. class was really great.
0: Yes, I love that. Good job, Mom <laughs> went there. <laughs> I think I'm gonna do that in Ford's class when the time comes. Nice. <laughs> I think yes. that's great.
1: Yes. yes, any way that we can find ways to jumpstart that connection
0: with peers, I think is so important it really is it really is cuz kids aren't afraid unless you're afraid you know they're leading by examples of their parents yes exactly so let's go back to that sort of beginning diagnosis time for you as a mom i know it was probably a relief in hindsight yes but can you can you talk about the beginning for you for what it meant to have your child have a diagnosis well it was really difficult because
1: there was already this uh, this undercurrent of struggle. You know, she didn't sleep through the night for her first three years. Sequoia would wake up and she would scream. And it's like she had night terrors, but she would wake up every two hours. And so after three years of that, I mean, I feel like I was kind of half crazy already. and waiting and hoping for things to get better, and then it's like, boom, now we've got this diagnosis that's, that's so heavy. You know, it's this stigma of, oh, like your whole life is, is going to be so different now. And and it really, it was, I mean, I don't think I wasted a whole lot of time. There wasn't a lot of time to waste, just like lying around and being upset. It was just like feet to the ground running and like, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? And it was such the buzzword that you know, then I started reading all of these books on autism. I'm like, well, they're curing it. There are parents out there that are completely curing autism. And so it's like, well, what can we do? And it was like, every supplement every diet every imaginable thing that we could possibly afford and implement besides the services or resources that just weren't there all of that other stuff i was just like okay we're gonna try this we, we tried um, working with a dan doctor which is defeat autism now and we tried so many different supplements and you know her body responded really well um, she has a very high heavy metal count like off the charts, heavy metal count. Interesting. And yeah. So we did a like chelation process that we like a heavy metal detox to get as much of that out as we could. And that improved the blood work. We did, we did a urine test that also did markers for heavy metals. And we were able to see an improvement from that, but behavior wise, cognition wise, nothing really changed. Like no matter What we did, there wasn't ever a magic bullet or anything that was just like, okay, this is the golden key. It was just like, okay, keep trying. And I would say like about a decade of that, you know, like, well, maybe this is is it, or this, or now it's kind of like, okay, well, how do we manage? Cause she, she still has a sleep disorder that she's gotten a lot better now that she's a teenager. It's like, there's some of that typical teenager that she kind of wants to be lazy and mm-hmm. sleep. And I'm like, yes, thank you.
0: God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she still has a digestive disorder that she's had her entire life. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to manage that with the best diet and you know still supplements and
0: does she still have food aversions like or with her sense of smell is it hard to get her to eat and gain weight or was it in the beginning
1: it really was in the beginning and like I said she would gag and vomit if she smelled strong food and she wouldn't eat meat she was a self-chosen vegetarian for nine years and at about nine she I think it was the like prepubescent hormones coming in. She just, everything started changing with her and she wanted to eat meat and she would eat things that she wouldn't eat before. And so we went through this like feasting stage for like three or four years. Dream come true. <laughs> right. Where where she would just eat about anything. And now she's in this really picky, like, oh, I don't eat carrots or strawberries or spinach <laughs> or like all the stuff that she used to eat. I am just like, Sequoia, this is These are your favorite foods. And she's like, no, mom, they're not anymore. (laughs) And so, yeah, we're just finding our way. And sometimes I can get her to eat. Like she grew up eating curry. I could get her to eat curry at a young age. That was just one of the things. It was like sweet potatoes and spinach and coconut milk and a really mild curry. And she would just eat it right up. And now she's like, that's disgusting.
0: (laughs) So can I ask you about... um the behavioral aspect that you were just talking about. I've been kind of reading a little bit about autism, and it seems like there's maybe a new, I don't know if it's new, but a a movement towards not correcting the behavior necessarily of people with autism, but kind of wrapping our arms around it and living with it yes so does that make sense it does and i I think you're speaking
1: specifically to stemming which is uh, usually a person with autism's reaction to their environment when they get overloaded so you may see like hand flapping or clapping or rocking back and forth things like that and that is their body expressing the emotion that they're feeling and and a way for them to get the energy out of their body, that excessive energy that maybe otherwise somebody would say, oh, I'm having anxiety right now, or, or I'm just feeling really uneasy, or, you know, to be able to vocalize it. That's them expressing, or my daughter rocks back and forth when she's happy. So it's the emotion coming out of like, I like this. This is fun for me. And she'll, if she's getting real excited, you're talking about something that she really likes, she's rocking back and forth like, yes,
0: I love it. <laughs> Okay, yeah. cool. I don't know much about it yet. You know, I'm I'm pretty new to this world still. So, well, um, welcome. It's it's <laughs> a great. It's a great big world and I'm really happy that you're
1: taking time to learn about it and Thank to embrace you. it and to sh- share it with others because the more people that know, you know, the more awareness that we're able to spread, then the more inclusive our communities can be. So when they see somebody with autism, they can be more accepting and willing
0: to say, "Hey, you're just like me in so many ways and yes. how can how can we connect yes not send that kid to the principal because they're disrupting the class by flapping their arms but right. maybe everyone can recognize the, or join in on the excitement or yeah. whatever is being released uh-huh or a teacher can say
1: oh i see that you need some movement would you like to stand up for a minute how about if we all stand up and take a stretch or maybe jump up and down two or three times you know and and if they don't want to go to that extreme they can say You know, this child might need to take a walk out in the hall just to get some of that energy out and just help them continue that. So they're not sitting there just flapping, 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 you know, if they would like to get up and move around in other ways. And to touch on, on kind of a different form of behavior that that comes with autism, Sequoia has been showing some pretty extreme self-interest behaviors over the last couple of years that I didn't see when she was a child. And that's really heartbreaking. When she's frustrated she's not able to say i feel frustrated right now so instead she just reaches up grabs a giant handful of her hair and rips it right out and for the moment that gives her like temporary relief from the anguish that she's feeling mentally and emotionally and i just you know it's hard to imagine because it's like that is physical pain and, and some people even hit their head on the wall or the floor to find this temporary relief from the emotional and the mental anguish that they're experiencing in the moment. And that's just a new behavior that it's like, wow, that's this heartbreaking to is, watch. Yeah, this and it's so hard. Uh, it just brings out the compassion in me. It's like, how do I help you? You are in so much turmoil and pain that you're willing to do this to yourself. How do I help you to alleviate some of that?
0: So is this coming more from the end of being nonverbal or is this a very common trait with autism? It is pretty
1: common And, and Sequoia is actually verbal. She talks, she's just not able to talk in sentences very much and express what what she really needs to communicate. She might be able to say one word of what she needs to communicate, but there's a whole story around that one word. And you as the person around her have to figure out what that is. Yes. <laughs> and and a lot of our communication is nonverbal. So she may be showing you she is showing you with her body language in other ways what is going on with that one or two word phrase that she's able to get out.
0: It's a it's a pretty powerful language. My son is also or he isn't also, but he's nonverbal currently. Okay, okay. But yeah, I mean, I feel like even when I meet other kids that are like Ford, I connect so much more easily with them when they're nonverbal now.
1: Yes. There's a different I, I can, language. I can
0: hear it, you know, I can see it. I don't have a I don't have that awkward moment of where maybe someone has a really thick accent and I'm like, what? What? I kind of just settle into it and I'm so comfortable communicating with them however they need me to do that.
1: Yes. And that is really beautiful because it is a whole nother language and it's like this universal language. We all have that ability. We're born with it. we we just lose it along the way if we don't use it. And so it's re- it's really a gift to have that ability mastered because you're thrown into life's situation where it's, it's a skill that you need to develop, that you want to develop to, to connect with your child in the Deepest way possible.
0: I feel like even if you just relax and you are intimidated by the lack of speech, even just even just kind of relaxing into it Mm -hmm. will kind of bring you there. Right. Just pausing and feeling, allowing yourself to just feel
1: for a moment and maybe even thinking like, what is the general vibe here? Just what is this child trying to convey or what do I feel? in this moment and i just watch people's face light up when sequoia runs up to him because she just brings joy she goes running right up to people she doesn't know she's never met before she doesn't care doesn't matter to her one bit these social norms have no control over her and she anybody in the grocery store on the street wherever we are she'll just go running up oftentimes jump right inside their bubble and the look on people's face it's priceless i just watching with a big smile and usually I get this huge smile in return. Like people are just like, like, who are you? You know, and occasionally there'll be somebody that it's just like, whoa, this kid's in my space and I am not digging on it. And then I'm, I'm mama. I'm right there to step in. And I'm like, hi, this is Sequoia. And she loves people. And, you know, and if I can tell they're not loving her interaction, then I just grab her hand and, and pull her away gently. Like, okay, let's keep moving, sweetie. Yep. Next one, bye. Yep. bye. <laughs> There's always somebody else, and and I'm sure you're going to find a smile somewhere. Absolutely,
0: yeah. So, tell me about your community center that you have in Corvallis h- called Heartism that you started. I would love to tell you in, about Heartism. I so. would love to know because I just got to see it, and I was so. I mean, I was so touched that you selflessly just put something like this together. And I don't know everything about it. My mom kind of told me a little bit. So please tell us what Sequoia has inspired. Thank you. That's why I was going to say I wouldn't call it selfless because it's definitely
1: like it benefits me so much because of Sequoia, but, but it is Sequoia inspired. And uh, so five years ago, I started a nonprofit, Bitterit Arts for Autism. And I started that under a larger nonprofit, Bitter Resource Conservation and Development. And they took on our project because they look at children as a resource. And boy, children are our biggest resource. I mean, more precious than gold. And so I was really excited that, that they helped us to, to get this project going. But I basically started BAA because I wanted to do art and different projects with the kids cooking and summer camps, all these different ideas that I had, but I needed some sort of little funding source. And so I was like, well, if I have this, then we'll be able to have these different events at different places throughout the community. Well, that was a big success and it was a lot of fun. And after two years of that, we realized that we needed a space to call our own, that we could have activities and events anytime we wanted and so i thought what better than a community center so we raised the funding and opened heartism which stands for healing arts for autism and all abilities we are extremely inclusive but we started that in november of 2016 and so we're three just about three years in operation and it has been a journey. I mean, it's just ever evolving and and I'm still like trying to get my footing and still trying to launch the community center, but you know, there's just a little bits of success around every corner. So we started out offering free classes in art, we, we have a guy that comes in and he paints and he leads the children. It's kind of like painting with a twist, but the twist is our awesome kids. <laughs> and he helps them make these, we call it paint a masterpiece. And so we do that as, as often as we can. We have different life skills and cooking series. We have summer camps every summer. We usually do anywhere from six to nine weeks of camp with things like sensory art. And a garden camp. We have a little community garden here in our center. We pooled together with the community and got raised beds donated, soil donated. Every year, the kids start the plants. And we have an awesome harvest in August, and we do a cooking camp and utilize the things that we've grown in the garden, put them in the kitchen, and sneak them in as much of the food as we can because a lot of our kids don't like vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) There's kind of a general consensus on that. Yeah. So it's, it's really been a lot of fun and a lot of just new discovery, a a learning process for me of like, okay, I'll try a class and like, well, nobody showed up for that or I'll try something and oh my gosh, that was a huge hit and I feel like I was underprepared, you know, next time I'm going to have twice as many volunteers or, you know, so it's just like finding that balance of, you know, what the community's needs are, what people will show up for what the kids are really interested in and putting that together. We want really high quality programming that is useful and fun and that brings people together.
0: I wish this was around when I was a kid. It sounds so fun.
1: <laughs> I know and and the great thing is that the neurotypical population is invited to come in. We're encouraging middle school and high school kids and we've had several that volunteer and work with our kids and It's just a
0: win-win. Yeah. Having them together like that is so important. Everybody needs to learn how everybody else learns. I love it.
1: Yes. Yes. And that hands-on, like just right there in the mix, you know, we do, um, sometimes we'll, we'll have the pottery wheel out and do clay and it's like hands on top of hands creating this cool thing. And, you know, it's just like you're building memories, you know, and it's, it's pretty magical. I feel really blessed.
0: So what are the days like? Are you are you opening this Monday through Friday and there's a different class every day? No,
1: we're more since we're a community center. It's uh, we're still finding our footing, but where we schedule events. So I schedule events like every Thursday. We have a music and movement class and we have a woman, a music retired music teacher that comes in and works with the kids and I line up as many volunteers as I can. And just for an example, she did a summer camp for one week with with the same idea. And she taught the kids how to play the ukulele. I called it ukulele and I got corrected. So it's ukulele, <laughs> piano, uh, guitar, and the kazoo, like all of those. Oh, and she has these uh, bells, these chimes that are write on the musical notes one for each note and so she teaches she'll she'll get some kids playing like the chimes ringing the bells and then others on the piano and have them doing the same song together oh and the drums too she she has them do drums so it's real cool because it's like okay it's not just a like, okay, today's Thursday, you have piano lessons at four. It's like, oh boy, what are we gonna learn in music and movement today? And and that usually starts out with all of us bouncing on a giant ball, passing a balloon or a ball around to the other participants and talking about something that was fun that we learned that day or that week while our favorite song is playing in the background. So we're trying to hit like all these different
0: sensory points I think this is so cool that this is in our little town. I mean, what a fun (laughs) thing to have as a kid and a teenager even. Oh, my god! To just have a place to go to like this that isn't under school's umbrella. Because not everybody feels accepted at school, even if they are neurotypical. And I love that this is just sort of an outside thing that kids can join. That isn't gonna cost their parents a lot of money. Right, yeah, it is, it's pretty cool. And we're still finding our way.
1: So, um, back to the scheduling, we just started working with an, a pediatric occupational therapist, and she is utilizing our community center every Monday to see clients. And a lot of these kiddos were having to drive up to Missoula because. We're really under resourced in this area for for some of the basic things like occupational therapy. You know, there are services, but oftentimes there's a waiting list. And so we're hoping to provide some more of that kind of stuff in this communal space. And so we have that going on. We're working on a new program. There is an amazing social worker out of Missoula that is interested and diligently putting together this program for transitioning teens. So as you graduate from high school, there's really limited opportunities. There's a couple of programs, but but we're working on developing another one that utilizes the community center as day use, one to two days a week to start with, and hopefully that will grow. And our long-term vision for the community center, I said the five-year vision for it, was to have a bakery that's that's running because we have these huge industrial ovens, and yeah, um, it's an
0: old restaurant space.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, and so um, we've been having cooking classes and teaching life skills and you know as these kids transition into adult it would be amazing to have a bakery that people could come in and kids are working doing something that they love and then the community is is getting the service of like there's no bakery in Corvallis so let us put that out there and you know and that could help to sustain, sustain the community center as well as give employment to these children as they grow into
0: adults Oh, that's so awesome. I love it. I love (laughs) it. Thank you. And it's, it's
1: close to becoming a reality. We're already, you know, working on this teen transition program and we're talking about the possibility of next summer having like Friday night be like our baking night and then taking these baked goods to the market on Saturday and letting the kids run the booth and you know, how fun for them to get that social interaction with the community and to see the community support them right back.
0: So, This is going to be a huge hit. (laughs) I hope so. I I feel like it will, too. (laughs) It definitely is. And that transition time, like you said, is so important Too parents have, you know, you feel a little lost again, kind of like you are in the beginning when you're given a diagnosis. You're like, what do I do now? Yeah. Yeah. Where do I go with my kid? Where do I get services?
1: Yes, it's it can be really overwhelming. And it's such a process. You know, I'm glad that I wasn't harder on myself. There was some sense that, well, I, I'm a yoga instructor. And so, you know, I teach people de-stressing things and, and ways to to breathe and, you know, some of those coping skills. So I'm glad I was able to apply some of that to myself even back then and, and not feel so much pressure because, because there really wasn't any more that I could have done. I look back and I'm like, you know, other than moving to another state, which was just not an option. Sequoia's dad is a fishing outfitter and and it was his passion to start that business here in Montana. And there was just no way that he was going to leave. And so it really wasn't an option. So I, I think looking back, I'm like, you know what, we did everything that we could. And Sequoia did the
0: best that she could. And to be able to say that, it's like no regrets. I love that. And yeah, I love how you just surveyed your your land. And you realized that there was a lot of stuff missing to help your child grow and you're building it. (sighs) Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, that's what we do as mothers.
1: I mean, look at you. Look what you're doing. And I'm sure you never thought you were going to be on this journey. Yet here you are and you're rising to the challenge and you're helping to educate and share all of this knowledge, you know.
0: Well, moms like you really inspire me. <laughs> Thank you. I feel the same way about you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you're so sweet, Jessica. Mm. Um, it's true. <laughs> okay, you're making me cry. It's like the <laughs> second. It's the second time I've cried a little today. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> it's just Wednesday. No big deal. <laughs> Well, I'm so excited for your community center. Why don't you tell everyone your website, but I'll definitely attach it in the episode show notes as well. Oh, So people can find
1: it. And, you know, we are working on building a website. We had one and it was just super outdated. We ended up deleting it, but we can be found on Facebook. For those that are on social media on Facebook, it's heartism and that's heart with ISM and community center. And I post so much on there of the, the videos from our classes and pictures from the kids and events coming up in our calendar. And there's also a donate button for anybody that is feeling inclined. Um, Especially to get that bakery going. Right. We pretty much run off of donations and we try to offer everything free to the families or as free as can be. If there is a fee for something, we offer scholarship to counter that for families that aren't able to come up with it. But but yeah, we pretty much run off of donations and, and grants. And it's been interesting. We've found many opportunities for grants for programming, which is fabulous. So that's why we've been able to get some of this programming off the ground. But the thing that we've struggled with is there are not grants to pay operation costs. So like our rent and our bills and all of that kinds of things, it's, we operate on about $1,500 a month to, to pay for that stuff. And it's all donation based. And so far we're making it, you know, there's some times that I stress and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hope we get this, but we're looking pretty good just through the end of this year. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, I know it's going to
0: come. And and just having that hope and faith and yeah. Well, and hopefully a bunch of autism moms and dads are going to find you on Facebook and maybe there isn't a a wide enough net that you're catching in in Corvallis right now. So I think this will just kind of help it grow and you might inspire people from all over.
1: Yeah, I would love that. My true hope is that this community center can be in a sense like a blueprint because there's no reason why we couldn't have community centers all over. And it doesn't have to be just for special needs, but that could be, you know, a, a special component of the community center, but I feel like community is so important. It, it really is something that's missing for a lot of families, neurotypical and not. Sure. And, and so, yeah, I just hope this idea of, you know, creating sacred space for all of us is something
0: that will spread far and wide. <laughs> it will. And I do actually think that having a little bit of a focus on Kids with disabilities and rare syndromes I think it is important to include these kids outside of school as well yes you know where they don't feel forced or where they don't feel scared to interact and where they just get to be kids right and that that like pressure performance
1: pressure is yes. completely off it's just yes. like come and enjoy and play and be
0: yourself and be celebrated for being yourself Well, as if you're not already conquering one thing after another and doing it (laughs) awesomely, you also did a TED Talk. (gasps) I did. Tell me about your TED Talk. (laughs) You were so good on it. I'm like, oh, "Oh, I miss Jessica. It was good to see your face. Oh, thank you. Thank you.
1: I, you know, I was really scared when the suggestion came up that I do it. And my first response was, no, pick somebody else. I can't do it. And I got pressure from friends like, you would be great at this. You should just do it. And nobody else has this message right here, right now. And so I don't know. I kind of sat on it for a few days and finally I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so then I just had to get like psyched up for it. You know, I was like, okay, well, what, what all do I want to talk about? How am I going to, you know, so I kind of prepared it, you know, and, and lined it out like, okay, this is important, this, 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 and, um, and I was really nervous. I, as I said at the beginning of this, I have my own sensory issues and, you know, and a little bit of a fear of of being on stage and these bright lights in my face. And But somehow, boy, I pulled it together
0: and got through <laughs> it. And you did was, a great job.
1: Thank you. I was really happy. I felt um, this sense of like, oh, my gosh, I did it and I did it. I did it good. Yeah.
0: And I, and it was so informative. I learned, I learned so much. I love listening to people rather than reading blogs and things like that, especially when I get to see the emotion from a parent. Right. There, there is something very compelling about that emotional component and
1: especially to another parent. It's like, there's this instant connection of like, oh, I feel you. I feel your pain. I feel your joys. I feel this whole roller coaster of life.
0: Yes. I, well, maybe there's going to be another one in the future on um, starting a community center.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I touched on that in the TED talk. So I feel like I did a two in one. I'm good. <laughs>
0: you see my resistance (laughs) oh that's okay you did awesome oh I'll also link that in our show so everybody can see it okay oh that that would
1: be great I really appreciate it and you know it's like it's just what you're doing just spreading the word and just sharing you know
0: learning i'm learning a lot right
1: learning <laughs> and 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 just sharing our awesome children like our kids they came awesome. here to to create change like sequoia didn't come here to just sit quietly and you know she's making big waves and i am honored to be, you know, following in her wake and and, <laughs> and holding totally up a sign, you know, like, like, check this out. This is different. You know, it's awesome and it's different. And it's
0: it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing where it elevates us as people when we're exposed or when we love someone like Sequoia.
1: Yes. Yeah. You, you just rise, can't explain it. And you, you rise to the challenge. It's like, boy, I never saw me being in this circumstance but i wouldn't be anywhere else you
0: know you do you rise and you kind of hover over and you look down and you're like oh this view is so different (laughs) wow (laughs) oh my goodness i know this question is asked a lot but i think it's so important because we can never ever get enough at least i can't what changed you what would you tell another parent maybe in the beginning or in the middle that's struggling again or still what would you tell them gosh ultimately it just fundamentally it just comes
1: down to that love the love that i felt for sequoia like there was just nothing that i wouldn't do for her and i saw her as an innocent byproduct of this diagnosis it's like what did she ever do like she just came to this Planet being the most perfect, amazing, beautiful little baby that I could have ever even imagined. And now she has to deal with this. It's like there's nothing that I wouldn't do for her. And and I think a lot of parents feel that. And... And then there can also be this sense of hopelessness of like, I, f- I feel that, but I'm overwhelmed too. And I don't know what to do to help her. And I think there there are so many things that we get our strength from, you know, I'm, whether it's, it's from God or from your own spirituality or from your family or from your friends or your community or whatever it is that fills your cup, I think ultimately, that has to be a focus in a time like that. It's like, okay, how can I take care of me so that I can take care of my child? And it's just finding those resources for yourself and being willing to put yourself as priority of like, okay, I got to get myself into this good, functioning, super mom mode and finding your way because your child's worth it. And And ultimately, I think every parent feels
0: that. I agree. And thank you for saying that. I think parents need to hear that more often, that it's okay to put your mask on first. Yeah. Yes. You have to. Yeah. Your superhero mask (laughs) and your oxygen mask. (laughs) All of the masks, maybe a cape. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Jessica. I'm so glad I got to reconnect with you.
1: Oh my gosh! Thank you. I am truly honored, and I loved learning about Sequoia. You so much. Thank you for taking time. Yes, thank you so much.
0: All right, Effie. All right. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye bye. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick me up, Ford's got you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When <laughs> <laughs>